Brothers and sisters, I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you again on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our series. And for at least for, for this week and for now, uh, conclude our series on the means of grace. There may be a sermon connected to this next Lord's Day to kind of maybe wrap all of these things up. But uh, for now, would you please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Uh, just a fair warning, we will be turning to a number of passages, at least six, that that I'd like you to, to see and read along with me in this lesson. So please have your scriptures handy. We will also be turning to our confession, chapter 3, at one particular point as well. But Hebrews, chapter 4, <clears throat> if you would. Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, or your scriptures may say boldness, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Please join me in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. We do ask this morning that as we consider the means of grace in prayer, that you would give to us more confidence when we come to you. That you, Lord, would help us to more frequently come to your throne. That we would have, Lord, an encouragement by your spirit to know that when we come to your throne and are empty of words, that your spirit will help us and guide us in what we are to say and how we are to pray. Lord, be with us now. Give understanding to our minds and listening to our ears. Help us to eliminate all distractions this morning. That our hearts, Lord, be completely devoted and moved, Lord, to obedience. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. Be glorified. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we have been considering the ordained means that God has given through which the merits of Christ's once-for-all redemption are more and more beneficial in the life of the believer. Last week, we considered the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. Today, with God's help, we shall consider prayer as a means of grace. Brothers and sisters, what are the practical or biblical practices that one should look for when trying to identify a healthy church? Looking for a healthy church, what should I be looking for? I believe the Bible teaches that a healthy church is one where God's word is central to the church. A healthy church is one where the word of God is faithfully taught and accurately taught. A healthy church is one where the members are identified by faith and repentance, where faith in our triune God is proclaimed at the waters of baptism. This before the whole congregation as witnesses to the new covenant sign. A healthy church is one where the Lord's Supper is celebrated week after week as we remember 
presently rejoice and look to the future with hope that our risen and ascended Lord will return for his bride. And a healthy church is one that is marked by fervent prayer. We can discuss other things such as love for the saints and evangelism as uh, evidences of a healthy church. But those means that God has ordained for his church and for those whom he has called, those ordains that ordain means that God has promised to bless are the preaching of God's word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. In Acts 2.42, we are given a beautiful picture of fervent prayer in the early church. Scriptures say, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread, which most scholars believe is the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. There we have the means of grace practiced consistently by the early church. The early church was also, again, marked by prayer. Later in Acts 12, 5, we learn that Peter was put in prison. And while he was there, the action of the church was to be constant in prayer, offering prayer to God for him by the church. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. I'd like you to see something here. Acts chapter 13. And verse 1 through 4. Acts 13. Verse 1 through 4. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then, when they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. God, the Holy Spirit, sets men apart for the work of the church. But we see that the church prays. To ensure that what they have heard from the Holy Spirit is exactly what he has said. They pray in order to set these men apart. And they fervently pray. It seems as though when you're reading the scriptures, fervent prayer is all the church did, along with evangelism and, and sharing and teaching the word. That they were constantly in prayer. Why is prayer so important? It is because the Lord Jesus Christ has instituted prayer for the church. You will remember that we have said that a, a means of grace is a means of grace because Christ has ordained it. And that he has promised to bless it in a very specific way. And we may ask, didn't prayer exist prior to the earthly ministry of Christ? Wasn't, the, is, wasn't it there in the Old Testament? And yes, it was. And as we read through the New Testament, we see that it's also commanded by Christ for his church. Meaning it was not just a part of the Old Testament, but Christ has deemed it necessary for the new covenant people of God as well. Uh, let's go to another passage, John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 23. John 16 and verse 23. The Lord Jesus says, 
in that day, you will not question anything about me or question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Listen to what he says, so that your joy may be made full. The Lord says that if you want complete joy, then go to God and ask him for the things that are in accordance with his word and will. And you will be filled with joy. If you want joy, then ask God for it. And God will give it to you. We know John 6, 9, where the Lord gives instructions as to how we are to pray, saying, In this manner, pray, therefore, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Hallow your name, Lord. Holy. Make, make your name holy. Again, Prayer is a means of grace, not only because Christ has instituted it, but because he has promised to bless it in a, in a unique way. And he says, whatever you ask for in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There is an assurance of blessing in prayer. Our experience in prayer may often have been like, well, I don't feel like what I've been praying. The words that I've been praying, I don't feel like they've reached God. I don't feel like God is actually hearing me. That there is no blessing when I pray. But the Lord has qualified prayer, hasn't he? Meaning this, that, that when we pray, there's, there's a certain way that we're supposed to approach God when we pray. Consider 1 John. 1 John 5. What's the... What's the qualification when we pray? The qualification is this, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. What's the qualification? It's a qualification knowing that we, first of all, come in faith. We have confidence that when we come to God, we believe that God hears us. That's one of the blessings that you and I have as the covenant people of God. One of the assurances that we have as the children of God is it's this, that when we pray to God, God hears us. That's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? The God who has created all things. The triune God who saves wretched sinners and calls them to himself. The God who is sovereign over all. He promises that when we pray, he will hear us. So then why is prayer a means of grace? It's because Christ has commanded it and he has promised that when we pray, we will be blessed. This morning, with God's help, I would like to consider with you three points as prayer is a means of grace. Let's consider the first. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 and prayer as a means of grace. That's the first point. Hebrews 4.16 and prayer as a means of grace. Let's go to that passage again, the, the passage that we opened up with this morning. Hebrews 4 and 16. 
The word of the Lord reads, Therefore let us draw near with confidence, or your word may say boldness, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find help or grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, what do you think of when you read this verse? You've all heard it before. If you have been a believer for any length of time, you've heard this verse quoted at least once. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever come boldly to the throne of God? Think about that. Have you ever come boldly to the throne of God? Have you ever come to God with absolute confidence? Do you know that this is a command from God? That we, the people of God, are to come to the throne of God with boldness. He commands it. And he promises that there is a blessing when we do this. Let's dissect this a little bit, though. Consider the first part, portion of the verse. Let us, therefore. Well, first of all, us. Who is us? That is the people of God. Let us, therefore. Now, you've heard the expression, whenever you hear the word therefore, find out why it's therefore, or what it's therefore. So then, these words bid us to ask a prior question as to what is the basis for our confidence to draw near to God boldly, or draw near boldly. The answer is given for us in verse 14 and 15 of that same chapter. Again, Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, see the therefore again, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Why can we come boldly or with confidence? The writer of Hebrews is focusing on the gospel. And saying that because Jesus Christ has accomplished for us what we can never accomplish for ourselves, and he is there, he has passed through the heavens, we can have confidence. What does it mean to pass through the heavens? It means that Christ has died for sin, that Christ has rose on the third, risen on the third day, just as he has promised. The resurrection of Christ declares that Christ is alive. And because he's alive, It also declares that we can have confidence when we come to God, that we can have confidence in our own, in the own fact that we will be resurrected, that because Christ has been raised, we too shall be raised. Death has not had the final word, for death has been swallowed up in the victory of Christ. He has defeated death. After the resurrection, Christ has ascended. He has passed through the heavens. And where is he now? He is right now at the right hand of the Father, and his very presence serves as a pledge to all who place their faith in Christ that our hope is secure. Therefore, we can come to the throne of God with boldness. Not only do we have the blood of Christ to cover our sin, but we have a high priest who was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He understands our weaknesses. He understands that we are but dust. For he too was made to be dust as we are. Again in verse 16, we are called to come boldly then to the throne of grace. That is, courageously, fearlessly. 
that may sound almost blasphemous that we could come to God fearlessly. But then we must ask ourselves, what's the, the, the basis for our confidence? Is it because we have confidence in and of ourselves? Not in the least. But rather it is because we have confidence in Christ. When we pray, whether we feel guilty in our confession, whether we have a guilty conscience, whether we are weary, whether we lack faith, our assurance is never in and of ourselves. But our assurance is always and always because of Christ and Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, even when you feel as though your prayers are weak, God hears you. Why? Because of Christ. Even when you feel as though your prayers lack fervency, the fervency and passion that you know you you would like to have more of, God hears you. Why? Because of Christ. He hears you because of Christ. You may be weak. Christ is not weak. You may lack fervency, but Christ is not. All that you lack has been carried and covered by Christ. Everything that we lacked, everything that we did not have that was necessary to come to God, Christ has fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, don't pray with the assumption that you just don't have enough faith to come to God. Because if you've placed your faith in Christ and you have everything necessary to assume that God The God of the universe hears you because you are in the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. Consequently, as the passage says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We know this, don't we? Sometimes we we have looked at ourselves and looked into ourselves and say, I'm not worthy of going to church. I'm not worthy of going to the Lord's Supper. I'm not worthy of all these things. Let me just give you a a good uh, gospel encouragement this morning. You are not worthy. None of us are worthy. We have been made worthy by Christ. Our confidence is in Christ, what he has done, and who he is, is our only basis for having any confidence whatsoever. So therefore, when we lack confidence, when we doubt ourselves, we are taking our eyes off of the one that Hebrews says we are not to take our eyes off of. Fix your eyes on Christ. When we begin to look at ourselves, then yes, your confidence should dwindle down to the very depths. When we begin to look at ourselves, then yes, you should have no boldness. But when you look unto Christ, you should have all the confidence that there is to come to God because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Do you see that the assumption is that we already have saving grace? This is not an evangelistic passage. It's not bidding us to come and be saved. Rather, it's assuming that we are saved. It's a call for those who belong to God, to draw nearer to God. The verb tense in the Greek signifies this ongoing, drawing near. So it could be rendered, let us continue to come boldly or keep on drawing near to God. Keep going forward to God. Again, we have confidence because of the finished work of Christ. The writer in verse 25 of Hebrews says, Therefore he, Christ, is also able to save to the uttermost 
those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. One of the roles of Christ as our high priest is that he makes intercession for his people. He is our mediator, the one who prays on our behalf. Since we are told to draw near, the question must be asked, draw near to what? Well, we've been answering the question, haven't we? We are told to draw near to the throne of our Savior, whose enthronement offers us grace and mercy. As the ruling and reigning king, the Lord Jesus Christ, continually offers grace to his people from his throne. The word grace is connected with this to find help in time of need. We come to the throne for help. And don't we always need help? Dear God, where would we be without the help of God? What you and I need most in times of need, it's not money. It's not a new relationship. It's not a new hobby. Or, or anything of that nature. What you and I need in times of need is grace. This phrase could literally, literally be translated, it is a timely help. Meaning in all times when you need anything, God is there to offer you and I grace. Do you see that Christ has commanded us to pray? That he has promised blessing when we do? This confidence is founded on the finished work of Christ. Therefore, prayer is one of the ordinary or particular means of grace. The writer says, come boldly. Come with confidence so that you may receive grace. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this verse? What then should you do? Pray more. Pray more fervently. Pray more intentionally. Pray more frequently. Yes, to all of those things. But there's something that we must keep at the forefront of our minds when we pray. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. What should we keep at the forefront of our minds? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. We'll read to verse 19. Here's the word of the Lord again. For this reason, the Apostle Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit, through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul is praying for the, the growth and for the strength and for the spiritual nourishment of the Ephesian church. And for all churches, for that matter. And as he prays, he has in view edification of this church. He prays that the whole church would know Christ. That the whole church would know the, the length and the breadth and the width 
just the enormity, uh, the enormity of the love of Christ. And as he prays, he prays in obedience to what God has commanded him. And he prays with an understanding that, that he's not the means of grace for the church. But that God is the means of grace for the church. That God provides the means of grace for the church. He prays believing in those means. He prays believing that God will bless his people through those means. He prays knowing that those means are sufficient enough for the well-being, for the health, and for the growth of the church. He knows that he and the rest of the church need grace. That God gives it. The only place to, to find it is at the throne of God. So then what are we to keep at the forefront of our minds? That while it is this, while we must pray, our fervency, our frequency, our consistency, they are all dependent upon God who gives us grace in all of these various manners. We may say, gosh, I need to pray more. I'll find the strength within myself to start doing it. No, I need to pray more. Therefore, I will go to the throne of God and ask him for help, and he will give me grace in my need. He will give me the discipline to pray more. God will answer that prayer. We must be completely dependent upon God for all that we need. So if we're saying, yes, Lord, I need to pray more, let me just pull up my bootstraps and start doing it more. Well, there's an element of that, but you can't do it without God. So our first movement is to the throne of God. And he's the one who bids us to come. Even that movement to God is, is not something that we can do apart from God. God draws us to himself. And as we come to him, our prayer is, Lord, help me. Give me grace that I might be one who prays more according to how you call me to pray. Let's go to our second point. Three ways in which we are to pray. Three ways in which we are to pray. Would you turn to please uh, John chapter 14. Thank you, sir. John chapter 14. Three ways in which we are to pray. John chapter 14. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that so, that the, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But listen to what else he says in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So how are we to pray? Uh, Subpoint uh, one or A. We are to pray in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. We are to pray in the name of Jesus. When we pray, we are to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord specifically says, anything that you ask in my name, the name of Christ is powerful. When we come to God in the name of Christ, we are coming through the name or by the name of our mediator. He is the one by which we are given access to God. So therefore, when we pray, we are asking God, in the name of, or I come to you, God, because of the one who has given me access to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray, 
in the confidence that, that Christ has given us access, and also pray with the understanding that, that Christ is our mediator, the Bible says that Christ hears us. Now, let, let's be very careful. While the name of Christ is powerful, the name of Christ is not some magical or some kind of uh, magical formula to get our prayers answered, if that makes sense. Uh, we don't pray to God something outside of God's will, which we're talking about in, in a moment. And just because we've said the name of Jesus, expect that our prayer will be answered. It's not as though just because we've said the name of Jesus, that in parentheses, whatever we ask will be given. You may recall that some time ago I was teaching about false teachers. This was a couple of years ago, actually. And one of the things that I said was that false teachers try to manipulate the name of God or the name of Christ. They will say things like, uh, in the name of Jesus, and try to apply it to anything that they wish. You've heard that before. If we're praying in the name of Jesus, that uh, that means that we are then praying according to the word of Jesus. Meaning we are praying things that Christ has commanded us to pray. We are praying things that are, that are in accordance with the will of Christ. So we are not able to ask anything outside of what Christ has prescribed for his church and for his people. We must understand that Christ, when he says anything, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean absolutely anything without exception. But he says anything. Let's, let's, let's do a little test on it then. Imagine praying that you will have success as you rob a bank in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Imagine that. Lord, help me not to get caught as I rob this bank. In Jesus' name I pray. Imagine praying that you will be successful in cheating on your, your test in school, kids. In the name of Jesus. Imagine praying that you will be successful in committing adultery. In the name of Jesus. Do you see how when Jesus is saying anything, it does not mean anything. It is those things that are in accordance to the word of Christ. Why? Because it is those things which most glorify God. We pray in the name of Christ because Christ is our mediator. Our approach to the throne of God is only because he has given us access. He is our high priest. The work of Christ, it opens the throne of God to the people of God. Therefore, when we pray, we are acknowledging to God that our access has been granted or provided through the perfect work of the Son. Second subpoint: We are to pray according to the Father's will. We are to pray according to the Father's will. When I grew up in church, some of you may be like me, it was taught and preached that we should not pray according to God's will. That praying according to God's will somehow meant that you did not believe that what you were praying for was going to happen. That you somehow lacked faith if you said, let your will be done. And they were essentially saying, no, let your will be done and tell God what to do. And God will do it for you. May I say to you, praying according to God's will is not a lack of faith. It's evidence of great faith. It's evidence that you believe that God knows what's best for you. And there is no better place to be, uh, no better position to be in, than to be in the position of saying, 
I trust that God knows what's best for me. It's evidence that you understand that our hearts are deceitful, that our hearts are wicked, that we cannot trust our own hearts uh, or our own desires for that matter. That while we believe that we are praying that something is good for us, God knows what is supremely good for us. Again, 1 John chapter 14, when we pray, uh, 1 John 5, 14, when we pray, we are blessed. And then when we speak, we know that God hears us. But dear ones, our prayers are never orders to God. We, we don't go to God as if we were going to a drive through telling him what we want and expecting it when we turn around the corner. Our prayers are not instructions to God. They're not instru- instructions for him to follow. I can remember false teachers praying, listen to this, praying commands to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I command you to send your angels. Imagine that. Imagine commanding God the Holy Spirit to do something. And then commanding angels. Angels, I commission you, I command you to go forth and do such and such. What an appalling blasphemous statement to make. We do not get to dictate to God what God will do. Why do I say this? Because sometimes, while we may not go to the extreme of the false teachers that I've just mentioned, we often wonder, why am I praying if nothing is going to change? Do you see that? That there's, while we may not say, I would never tell God what to do, and then sometimes we are reluctant to pray because we say, well, if God's not going to change, or if nothing's going to change, or if what I'm asking is not going to happen, then why pray? Do you see that while you may not be on the side of commanding God to do something, you're still in the same category as those who are telling God what he should and should not do? I think we are really asking this question. Is God going to change for me? Let me be uh, unequivocally clear. God will not change for you or me. He does not change. He is immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is simple. He does not shift around like you and I. He's not up one day and then down the next. The Lord says, I'm the Lord. I do not change. Notice our confession. Chapter 3, paragraph 1. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and most holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass, yet so there is thereby Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, power, faithfulness, and accomplishing his decree. Well, if God will not change, then what's the use of prayer? You don't want a God who changes. You don't want a God who's like you and I. Imagine having a God who is constantly changing, 
and all of the millions of requests of the saints. Secondly, you don't, or secondly, you want to pray according to God's will, because as we have already said, you, God knows better than you and I. He knows the beginning from the end. He can see what you and I cannot. So when things turn out according to uh, the way that we don't turn out, according to the way that we wanted them to turn out, it's because God knows better than we do. And thirdly, God has promised to work all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Therefore, if it did not work out your way, it's because God has a better way. One that will bring him glory. And one that will ultimately be for your good. When we pray, John says, our confidence is that God hears us. When you pray according to God's will, he has promised that it will be done. The means that we should, uh, this, this means that we should pray, pray with the knowledge of the scriptures. Pray with the, the word of God open before you. If we're praying according to God's will, what are some of the things that, that God will answer because they are according to his will and his word? First Thessalonians pray, uh, says that, we, uh, that it is the will of God that we are sanctified. First Thessalonians 4.3. It's the will of God that we are sanctified. So then when you pray, God, sanctify me, make me more like you, God answers that prayer. He will answer that prayer. Think of the Lord's Prayer. We are called to pray that God's name would be made holy in our hearts and in this world. God will answer that. We are called to pray that we would be forgiven of sins. God will answer this prayer. We we are called to, to pray that God would provide for our daily needs. God will answer this prayer. Go to the scriptures. Find those things that God has has called us to pray for. And pray them. And when you pray them, ask that God's will would be done. Our third sub-point, the Holy Spirit helps us as we pray. Uh, Romans 8.26, if you will. This is the second to last scripture. Romans 8.26. The word reads, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we pray, we commune with God. And we do so with the help and by the help of God, the Holy Spirit. The means of grace And God, the Holy Spirit, they are connected. Without him, we would be lost and we would not know what to pray. As we progress in this lesson, you may be thinking, I I know I need to pray more. And I know I need to pray with with greater frequency and, and greater quality, but I don't know how to pray. Remember, brothers and sisters, that God, the Holy Spirit, has promised to aid and assist you as he intercedes for us. God, the Holy Spirit, helps give us proper direction when we pray. He helps to uh, call to remembrance for us God's word as we pray. He gives us proper desires as we pray. The Lord is active in our prayers. 
We are never alone in that process. When we pray, God the Holy Spirit will help us. He will assist us. And there will be times when we do not know what to pray. And you and I have been there, haven't we? Whether it be in our corporate prayer where we're standing and we know everyone is listening and we're we're more concerned with what they are saying. And then all of a sudden, we're given words. We're given proper words. And when we sit down, we say, God, thank you. I had no idea what to pray or how to pray. I don't even know if that made sense. But whatever was said, it was said because God the Holy Spirit helped me along. Praise be to God for that. May I also encourage you just in this last uh, thing. Know God's word. When you know God's word, you will, you will be able to pray more accurately. You will sound like someone, not smart, someone who knows God. And it's because you have been reading God's word. When you read God's word, you know God. Read his word. Let his word and his spirit assist you as you pray. Let's move on to our third and final point. This is an interesting one that I thought would be helpful. And that is praying about issues that are not revealed in the scriptures. Praying about issues that are not revealed in the scriptures. All of us are confronted with this at some point or another. We need direction, but there is no explicit direction in the scriptures per se. How do I pray for a family member who has a specific sickness and how do I encourage them in this sickness? Or how do I pray about what school to enroll my kids in or maybe to keep them home? How do I pray about what kind of house I should buy, what kind of car I should buy? Let me ask you, do you at all pray about these things? Or do you just go do them? Praying for needs. It's not a matter of claiming the outcome. But rather it's professing a trust in the one who knows the outcome. That is the God of the outcome. We often pray, Lord, let it not be cancer. Lord, let me get this house or let me get this job or let me not get fired, whatever. It's not a lack of faith to say, Lord, whatever the outcome may be, be glorified as your will is done and help me to rest in that. Imagine that. Of all the various situations that you and I experience, that our prayer is something like, Lord, be glorified as your will is done. And when it is accomplished, I will bless your name, no matter what the outcome. I will tell you that when my daughter was in the NICU, that was not my prayer. That when my nephew was in the NICU and I held him for the first time as he was connected, and my daughter too, to all of these different wires and cords, my prayer was, God, heal him, heal her. And while it is is perfectly fine to pray those things, we should always end our prayers with, God, you be glorified. What most brings you glory? What is your will? And whatever happens, Lord, I will bless your name. Because you know better than I. You are the sovereign one of all of the universe. There is not a, a mite of dust that falls to the ground without you knowing. 
that's where our hearts should be. Lord, let me, help me to rest in you. Help me to be patient. Help me to be long-suffering. Lord, I know that you are sanctifying me and that you are gaining glory for yourself. Let your will be done. Many of us, through this 10-week process, that, that has been my, Lord, I know you are, my prayer, Lord, I know you are doing something in my own heart during this time. Let me be better when this is all over, not worse. Though I have suffered months through not meeting with the saints, I will not stop my pursuit of you. I will not stop my forward motion toward your throne. And if you felt that over the past few weeks, if you felt, I feel more distant now than I've ever been, as my dad used to sing, then go back. Go back to the cross. Ask God the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to draw you nearer to him. Don't let this time be a time that you look back on and said, I had 10 weeks and I'm not any closer to God than I was 10 weeks prior to that. You say, I am. Then ask God for forgiveness. Ask God, repent to him. Ask him to give you the grace and the strength and the help that you all, that we all need to draw near to his throne and receive grace and help in this time of need. The moments that we've just talked about, they're all moments that are out of our control, aren't they? They're all moments in which we are to at least be challenged to grow on our faith. But imagine those first disciples that those first 12 who were sent out into the nations. How did it fare for them as they went out into the nations among the wolves who were attempting to destroy the gospel? They were faced with death everywhere they went, and they went to their graves declaring, to God be the glory. They did not say, why is this happening to me? They counted it a blessing to be able to suffer with Christ. So therefore, if you are going through and experiencing things that you don't know and have any kind of direction on, go to God. And when things don't turn out the way that you want them to turn out, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Ultimately, pray that God's will will be done and that he will receive glory in his story. This is God's story. All that we are living through and all that we are experiencing, this is the story of God, not the story of man. This is a story that ultimately leads to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, breaking through the clouds, bringing his bride home, and us rejoicing and celebrating with him for eternity. You remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, and I won't have us turn there, but it is, the Apostle Paul, with a thorn in the flesh, and he is asking the Lord on three separate occasions to remove that thorn, to remove that affliction. And God's response to him every single time was, my grace is sufficient for you, for power power is perfected in weakness. God never took it away. And so Paul's response is, I, I, will, I will celebrate in this moment then. If God receives glory in my weakness, then I will be weak. If God receives glory when I am in affliction, 
then I embrace this affliction because God is glorified in it and God knows what he's doing in me. He's strengthening me through the weakness. So bring on the weakness. If God is going to make me strong through it, then bring it on. This is God's way of making me like him. That I receive anything that he brings my way. Uncomfortable, yes. But ultimately, producing much fruit, yes. Let our prayer be, Lord, I trust you. I can't see what you're doing, but I know that you do all things well. I cannot know your plans, but I know that they're good. We return to Hebrews chapter 4 to close. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you long to come to the throne of God? I wonder if you can imagine in your mind's eye sitting at the, the, the gates, sitting at his gates, waiting to come to his throne. Is that your heart? Do you question your ability to pray? Go to God. Go to his mediator, Christ. Pray according to the scriptures. They are your surety. Trust that God, the Holy Spirit, will help you. God will work all things together for his glory and for our good. And he has promised to be with us as we pray as a means of grace. So let us pray. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, let our hearts be so moved and convicted this morning to pray. And as we do, let us come with confidence. We come by the merits of the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come not on our own merits, but on his we pray in the name of the Son. We pray according to the will of God. We pray as the Spirit helps and assists us in what we are to pray. And Lord, when it comes to those things that are not clear in your word, let us end those prayers and those requests the same way that we would end those prayers according to your word. Lord, let it be done. Let it be done according to your will. Have your way. I cannot know your plans, but I know that they are good. Guide my every step. Be a lamp, Lord, unto my feet. We ask these things in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let me now close with a benediction, and then if any of you have any questions, you are, I am able to answer them. I will try my best. Stick around for a moment. If not, and we'll see you all this evening at 5 p.m. For the last time, praise be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. The grace of